It has been a week. It's been a week for you. And we, we put that out there sometimes when we just want to say it's been a hard week. Some are better, some are easier, some are tougher. And for various reasons, they come in on us in waves, and it has been a week. Um, Brenda, and I, I, Brenda and I have had the blessing this week of having spent some time with the Rock Harbor congregation. Um, they were gracious in inviting uh, us to go with them on their camp out. We, because of all of our travels, there's just a, a little thing in my throat and a little thing in her throat that seems to not want to go away. So we decided camping maybe wasn't the best thing to do. So we've been commuting to their to their uh, campground and sharing word with them uh, throughout the week. And it's been a real blessing to be with them. It reminds me of camp meeting and making me think that, uh, you know, Tim has the best of it right now when it's 100 degrees here and he's in the Redwoods camping. Um, he and Marlene are both up in the Redwoods right now. Um, Tim is uh, working in the early teen division. I believe Marlene is working in the junior division. So uh, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. I did 23 years in the early teen division. It is a fun age group, just old enough to tease and not so old enough that they get their feelings hurt all the time. I'll leave it at that. Um, as, we, as we begin today, the passage that is on the screen has been in my heart for about six weeks. And as I've been preaching to you, I've been in this passage in my head. A passage about priorities. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. And he's just listed a bunch of things that people pursue in the world. And we're all, we're all in that boat. We all pursue those things that he's just listed. We, we pursue blessings from God in our, in our work life, in our family life, in our home, in our, we want a new couch, we want a new car. We're asking God for a lot of things to, to come into our lives and, when all of those things are presented in that list before, he says, however, when you get to the end of the day, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. I want you to notice that there's a priority list. Seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God. That is priority one. So there might, it's, it's not telling you that you can't seek anything else, but it's saying priority one is the kingdom of God. There are other things that you will do in your life you might seek an education. You might seek a job change. You might seek to have children. You might seek to get them out of your house. You might seek to be buying a new one. There are a lot of things you might seek, but seek first the kingdom of God. Put it first. Priority number one. Because direction determines destination. And so priority number one, first setting on the compass is toward the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now, it's easy for us to say in our mind and therefore be righteous as God is righteous. Do you believe that that is God's d- desire for us? Yeah, absolutely. It is God's desire for us that we look more like Jesus than like us, right? It is God's desire for us that our lives be in such alignment with him. When somebody sees you, they go, wow, wow, what's different about that person? Or they say, wow, I see Jesus in that person. That is God's desire for us. But I want you to remember that the ultimate, the ultimate source of righteousness is not you. The ultimate source of righteousness is Jesus. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, His grace, His righteous covering, His hand leading you to the kingdom, His yoke on your shoulders so that you will go where He wants you to go. Learning to walk his steps, learning to hear his voice, learning to speak the things that Jesus would speak, learning to let go when somebody makes you mad, learning to bless someone who curses you, learning to turn to him in tragedy and turn to him in blessing and always recognize that he is in charge, he is on the throne, he is your God and he knows what's best. Direction determines destination. It's probably the most obvious title I've ever put on the screen. Direction determines destination. You want to go west? Well, go west. If you want to get to San Francisco from here, 
go west. You cannot get to San Francisco going east. Well, you could, but it would be a dumb way to do it. The Atlantic Ocean is going to be a problem for you. Then the Pacific is going to be a problem for you. And you got all those continents. It's a long way around that direction. Direction determines destination. Today I want to take an old story, a story you're pretty familiar with, and I'm going to take advantage of that in your understanding. And so I'm going to give you only a few texts, and I'll fill in some gaps as we give you those texts. But in talking about direction determining a destination, I want to look at the old story of Jacob the deceiver. That's his name. It means deceiver. Jacob means deceiver, a heel grabber, a deceiver, a person who manipulates and deceives others. Not the guy you want to buy a car from, not the guy you want to buy a house from, not the guy you want to buy anything from because he's deceptive. He's just that kind of guy. He's manipulated. He's kind of a con man. He's got sneaky in his blood. That's his nature. In the story, we find out that this is what he's doing all the time. His brother comes to him hungry. He doesn't feed him. First, he asks for a deal. I'll give you something to eat. Sure, you starving lummox, dolt who can't seem to put two words together. Yeah, I'll give you some food, but give me your birthright in exchange. And his brother, dumb as a rock, gives it to him. Now, he figures out he's wrong immediately, but that's too late. Then he signed it over, signed on the dotted line, handed it over and said, here's the deed to the rest of my life. You can have my birthright. This is a brother treating a brother this way. That's our guy, Jacob. That's our guy, Jacob. And he will, he will continue and it will not be pretty. We're in Genesis chapter, or Genesis 31 through 35 is where you'll find the story if you want to kind of follow along. There'll be a lot of, this, a lot of these texts on the screen. But when we pick up the story, we're kind of through the early part. We're through Jacob the deceiver's part in the story. Jacob has been home in his family growing up, and he has stolen his brother's birthright. And then, when his father's getting old and blind, and so blind he can't tell who's in the room with him, Jacob and his mommy hatch a plan to get him All the blessings of the father. It wasn't enough that he had stolen his brother's birthright. Now he was going to steal his brother's blessing. Big deal. Big deal to take the blessing that belonged to someone else. Big thing. So his mom says, your dad's going to bless your brother. He's just sent him out to hunt. So here's the deal. I'm going to get you all ready. I'm going to make your dad's favorite food. You're going to carry it into your dad and then he'll bless you instead of your brother. Jacob says, hang on. My brother's one hairy guy. He's not going to think I'm my brother. Don't worry about it. We'll strap some goat skin on your neck, on your hands. You'll be fine. And in he goes in his brother's clothes so that he smells like his brother. On the hands, his brother must have been one really hairy guy because they put goat skin on his hands and on his neck so that when his father touched him, they think he was his brother. This guy must have looked like a bear when he took off his shirt. Think of all the the sunburns it would avoid, though. That that might not be bad. So he has made that brother. He has taken his blessing. He's made him so mad that his... Older brother Esau, born seconds before him in their twin relationship. Seconds before him, his brother, his older brother decides, I'm just killing him. As soon as dad dies. And so his mom comes to him and he says, you need to leave. She goes to his dad and says, I don't want our youngest. I don't want Jacob to to marry any of these women here, these Hittites that we live among. He needs to marry somebody from the family. Send him back to find a cousin to marry. West Virginia. So he goes to a family reunion to find a wife. And he finds one. He finds a couple. He actually gets one. And he meets an uncle who is sneakier than he is. Guy's name is Laban. Makes a deal for his younger daughter. Sure, you can have my daughter work for me seven years. You can have the daughter. Well, on the night of the marriage, in the dark of the moon or something that made this difficult, 
Jacob goes into his tent, and they sing, send the older sister in behind him. And I don't know, had they been spiking his drink all night? Has, was he just seven years of waiting made him really not pay a lot of attention? I don't know. But he wakes up in the morning and he's got the wrong lady next to him. It's not the woman he bargained for, the woman he fell in love with. It's her older sister who he doesn't like. He, he doesn't want. He doesn't want to marry her. She's okay, but she's the sister I didn't want, not the sister I wanted. So he goes to his father-in-law to complain, which I think is a reasonable thing to do at this point. And he says, what's the deal? I gave you seven years for her, and you gave me the other daughter. So I'm like, well, 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 hey, don't get your, don't get your panties in a wad about this. Don't get too upset. I have a plan. Well, I've been subject to your plan already, and this is not for me. No, 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 no. You don't understand. Around here, we don't let this happen that way. We don't let younger daughters marry first. We, we have to let the older daughter marry first. And so, just relax. We're going to marry you off to the younger daughter too. And if you just work seven more years for me, that will be all square. So he gets his second wife and then he works seven more years for him. How long has he been working for this sneaky dude? 14 years. Have you ever worked at a job for a long time for a person who didn't appreciate you? Some of you might be there right now. 14 years and his wages keep getting changed. I'll pay you this. I'll pay you this. I'll pay you this. I'll pay you this. And it just keeps shuffling around. The, the guy does not know what a contract means. He certainly doesn't know what a promise means. And so he keeps changing and changing and changing. And our guy Jacob finds him. He's now been seven years for each woman, another six years, which he's agreed to so that he might begin to separate out the speckled and the spotted and the striped from the other animals to build his own herd. Got all this? You remember all this story? Is this sort of filling in some gaps? Or is some of this you've read? If, if it's a brand new story to you, I apologize. Go and pick it up. Go, go and read it. It's an interesting little story in the Bible. He's been there with these people for two decades. And the brothers, his, his, his group of speckled, spotted, and striped animals is growing. It seems everywhere they look, there's a speckled, spotted, or striped animal. And so the flocks are growing and growing and growing because God is blessing Jacob. Laban's flock is shrinking. Jacob's flock is growing. Laban's sons see their inheritance moving off to a new person. And they start saying what Esau said. We've got to do something about this. We've got to do something about this guy. We can't just let this go on. He's stealing our inheritance. That's where we find him. As we start the story in Genesis 31, verse 1, it says, But Jacob soon learned that, Jab- J- that Laban's sons were grumbling about him. He'd had this experience before. It was 20 years before. It was his brother. His sons are grumbling about him. Jacob has robbed our father of everything. So what's about to happen to his wages now? The brothers are about to say, no, you can't have those animals. Those are ours. You know it started with our flock. They belong to us. Send them back, right? And so he decides that he's got to do something about it. And God speaks to him. It's interesting because God sets the direction for his next steps. Do you realize that? God tells him to go home. The Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers, to your family, and I will be with you. Dad's dead. Who's he going to have to face when he goes home? His brother without any shelter from anybody. His mom's not going to be able to protect him. He's going to have to face the man from whom he stole the birthright, and from whom he stole the blessing. You know, sometimes when God sets you on a path toward the kingdom, you have to deal with the stuff that you've already done. 
You know, the, the, the Bible talks about repentance, right? To turn and go in God's direction. What you have to know that after you've walked this way for a long time, there are potholes that you've dug. There are skeletons that you've buried. And walking back toward God and the way he's called you to walk means you have to walk through those places, sometimes through the very tracks that you have left behind and deal with those things. Alcoholics Anonymous in any recovery program will tell you that if you don't make restitution, if you don't walk through and work through the things that you have messed up, if you don't talk to and ask forgiveness from and deal with the people you have harmed in the past, you will carry those people with you. And you will struggle in the new direction you set for your life. If he's going to go back, he's going to have to deal with Esau. And God says, well, you've been here trying on your own for a long time. Are you ready to go back home and deal with what I want for you? Are you ready to go back home? If if you'll go back home, I will be with you. So if you will seek first the kingdom that God has in mind, he will be with you. Right? Is this a simple, simple arrangement? Does this make sense? Should you just go ahead and do this? Should, should all of us right now say, wherever I am and wandering and in my, in my own direction, in my own decision, wherever I found myself in a bed that I've made on my own, I will turn and head back the way God wanted me to go and he will be with me. Shouldn't everybody in the whole world take that deal? Seems it would be easy. But everybody has an Esau. Everybody's got an Esau. It's an interesting thing about Jacob. He's third generation from a big conversion. Do you notice that? Abraham has this big encounter with God. All these great things happen with Abraham. These covenantal promises are there to Abraham. Then you have Isaac. And Isaac seems to go pretty well. He stays on track with God. He listens to his parents. He, he does, he's, his life seems to go pretty well. And then Jacob, third generation from that big conversion, that, you know, First generation conversion, second generation follower, third generation almost always has a problem. It's still true today. If you are a first generation convert, your kids will probably stay with the Lord. Their kids will have a lot harder time of it. There almost always needs to be a reconversion by the third or fourth generation in every family where that conversion has taken place. In every family... Still, statistically normative today in any church, anywhere where there's been a conversion, you count three generations down, that third generation has a really hard time staying in the direction that God has set for their family. They almost always veer off on their own. This guy has been trying to make his own way by his wits and his strength for his whole life. He's got this big brawny brother. Who's out there? He's the hunter. He's, he's, he wins all the football games. He's got all the trophies. He does everything that everybody loves. His dad likes him best. And Jacob has had to try to figure out a way to deal with being in second place his whole life. He's had to be the younger son, the baby son, the son who's not as strong, not as able. The Bible says of Esau, he was a hunter. He went out and and hunted game and his father loved him for it. And it says of Jacob, he was a quiet man who stayed home. Today, one son's an athlete, one son successful, one son the father and the family are very proud of, and the other son is not. He's, he's at home, and he's quiet, and he's, he's not putting himself out there, and he's risky, risk-averse, and he's a little sneaky. And the sneaky son lives by his wits and manipulates the situations to his advantage until he goes off to a foreign country and tries to find his way and tries to live on those wits and someone outwits him and outwits him and outwits him and outwits him. And he finds himself where God is saying, I'll go with you if you go home. Which is God saying, if you stay here, I'm not going to be able to protect you. I'm not going to be willing to protect you. If you're going to live on your own strength, you're on your own strength. If you're going to do everything by your strength and your wits, you're shortchanging yourself because I can't help you if you refuse to let me help you. So Jacob goes to his wives, Rachel and Leah, 
who have now borne him 11 children between them and their concubines who are officially their children as well. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field. And yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages 10 times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. So Jacob rose, set his sons and his wives on camels, and he carried away all of his livestock and all of his possessions. So now, don't think 50 sheep, 50 camels, 50 this, 50 that. No, we're talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of all of these. This is a massive herd of animals, lots of servants, lots of children, and Jacob in the lead. It it is as if Jacob is leading a small army through the wilderness on his way home. But God has promised he will be with him. As Jacob started on his way again, an angel of God meets him. When Jacob saw them, he exclaimed, this is God's camp. So Jacob is off. He's leading this big group of people out there. He knows he's got to face his brother. He's trying to figure out how to contact his brother. He's sending envoys out to talk to him. He's really worried about having to deal with Esau on his way home. Esau's a dangerous, tough guy. And an angel appears to him. I think this would be encouraging to me. You're going back in a way you don't want to go, but you know you're seeking the kingdom of God. You've set the direction that will determine a different destination than where you have been for the last 20 years. And he knows he's going in the right direction. And an angel of God meets him when he's starting to really worry about what he's going to confront. And he says, okay, I have seen the angel of God. He's with me. This is a place of God that I'm heading through now. And some assurance. So when, when you choose God's way, God will encourage you. He will find ways to tell you and to let you know and that you're going in the right direction. Some of you have experienced it. Some of you have experienced it. I've told you the story of my own choices, not wanting to go to college and be a pastor. I wanted to go to college and be rich. I wanted to become a businessman, climb the ladder in one of the big buildings down in San Francisco, get a corner office, and be wealthy. I figured that was the best goal for life. And God kept busting my chops about being a pastor over and over and over and over and over again. When I finally decided to go God's way, He started giving me some little indications that it was the right way. He started reinforcing a good decision. Are you a parent? Do you reinforce the good decisions that your kids make? Do you praise them when they're doing the right thing? Right? Why do you do that? Because you want to see that thing repeated. Well, God's no different. He knows you will repeat things when you are rewarded, when you are directed, when you're reinforced with that he's, do, he's leading you. So an angel meets him and reinforces the idea that he's on the right path. So let me ask you, have you heard from God in a positive way on the path you've chosen today? Have you heard from God in a positive way on the path you're on today? Or are you still trying to do this by your own wits and by your own strength? Are you still trying to be the guy Are you still trying to measure up to your older brother? Are you still trying to be something you're not because you've projected on yourself a goal and a direction that God never intended for you? Are you still trying to be that? Are you a 50 or a 60-year-old still trying to, to beat your brother at checkers? Trying to outwit, out manipulate? Be tougher, be stronger. Have you been going to the gym for the last 20 years so someday you can actually be stronger than your big brother? Have you been on a diet for the last 20 years so you can have a better shape than your big sister? You know these are real things that people do, right? Nobody nobody in here, but people do this stuff. They spend their whole life chasing after something that was never meant for them. Laban has to go back home. On his way home, he's going to have to face his brother. God's encouraging him because he's going in the right direction. Has God been encouraging you? Because if he's not, check your direction. Direction determines destination. After all, right? Is the kingdom 
the setting on the compass. His righteousness and the covering for your loss. We carry so much junk with us, don't we? You can be 90 years old and still struggling with something that happened in your childhood. Some teacher in the second grade told you you weren't very good at math and you swear to this day, though you're an engineer and you've taken hundreds of days of math training, that you're not good at math. Your work doesn't show that, but you always feel inferior to the other people who are good at math because you're clearly not. Because the second grade teacher said that you weren't good at math. And everybody knows your second grade teacher knows everything that's going to happen for the rest of your life. Right? We are kind of nuts. We're born half a bubble off. And we never really get that bubble back in its space where it's supposed to be. We're always fighting. And God just says, Look, the path that I'm setting for you, I actually know is the best path. I actually know. Your second grade teacher, forget her. You probably don't even remember her name, but she told you you were bad at math. And here you are carrying that 60 years later. What a strange, strange group humans are. And here's our guy, our guy, Jacob. He's got every sign of success you could imagine for his time. The wealth is there around him. All of these animals are wealth. Eleven sons and a daughter. This is wealth in his time. This is massive wealth in his time. He has succeeded in every way a human being could succeed. Now he's having to flee from his father-in-law, who's a weasel. But it's good to put that guy behind him. And if there's some weasels controlling your life, I'm pretty sure you're not on the path God wanted you to be on. Change paths. No weasels where God is leading. So Jacob sends messengers to his brother because every night when he lays his head on his pillow, he thinks about Esau and, oh man, what's that going to be like? Every day as he's walking through the desert following all these things that demonstrate that God has been blessing him, he's worried about what the day is going to be like when he has to face his big brother. You know his brother's really good with a bow and arrow, right? You know his brother can slice an animal in half in seconds and gut it in ten more you know his brother could just fillet him in minutes, right? You, you know he has reason to be afraid, right? But if you're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, will he abandon you? So a lot of times we don't put the kingdom of God first because we're not sure that God has our best interest at heart. You know what I mean? Now, you're, you're not, you're not going to admit to that. Nobody, you don't have to say anything about it out loud. But deep down inside, we have that voice. We have that, that thought, that, that creeping doubt that somehow God is sending me off to be filleted by Esau, not to bless me. To pay for my crimes. Because everybody knows I deserve it. Especially me. He sends off messengers to his brother. He sends out these messengers to Esau. They go and find him. They go, they go way off to the south to where, where his brother is, who is. His brother, who has been very, very successful in his own right. He's, he basically has founded a kingdom of his own. You know what the messengers come back saying? We went and we told your brother you were coming home. And he's coming out to meet you. With 400 soldiers. Does this sound like a welcoming party to you? It sounds like death to me. And it sounded just the same to him. But God had said, if you go back home, I will be with you. Right? So if you have stuck your foot in the, in the stream with God, you've tested the waters... 
and you say, okay, God, I'm, I'm in. And you slowly got the other foot in the stream and you start, you start flowing in the stream with God, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and knowing that the promise that comes along with this is I will take care of everything else. I will add everything else to you. I will take care of you. The angel has told him, I will be with you. God has told him, I will be with you. So, Jacob in choosing the kingdom is still having to deal with his past. And the biggest demon of his past is the demon of his own making in his head. I deserve whatever Esau does to me because of what I've done to him. And all of us have to deal with it. The question is how God wants to handle it with us, in us, through us. He's not sending you to your death when you deal with your past. He's seeking to set some things right so you can let go of it and move past it and not have that anchor dragging behind you for the rest of your life. He's cutting the connection between you and the bondages that have been placed on you in your history. If you will get going in his way, he will cut you loose from those things. One at a time. Not too overwhelming. In the process that makes sense for the blessing he wants to give you. Do you believe any of this? I really hope you do because this is the point. This is the this is the story of the gospel. This is the blessing of God. This is his intention. This is the way this is supposed to work. We're watching it in one man's life as he's moving toward home, fearful of what's going to happen, but moving in the direction, seeking after God, afraid that something bad's going to happen, but still seeking after God, going in the direction toward the promises of God that God said he should go after. The messengers return to Jacob. We came to your brother Esau. He also is coming to meet you. The dot, dot, dots are the 400 soldiers he's bringing. I wonder what the prayer was after that. Does he hit his knees immediately or does he wait when he's a little further away from everybody because this prayer is going to be filled with tears. God, you sent me this way. Are you sure this is okay? Are you sure you got this? This whole, you know, Esau, my brother, is not a very good believer. He, he's going to come with an army and a lot, really big bow and a really sharp knife. You know my brother and you know how dangerous he is and you know that he could kill me if he wanted to. God, are you sure you know what you're doing here? Desperation prayers get all kinds of squeaky. And this is a desperation moment and a desperation prayer. Jacob was terrified at the news. The Bible doesn't use the word terrified very often. Jacob is terrified at the news. He divided his household along with his flocks and herds and camels into two groups. So he starts dividing everything up. You guys go that way, 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 you guys go that way. And he splits everything up into two groups. He's assuming that if his brother comes and kills off everything he sees... One of them will survive. So, so if, I, if I spread them all out, if I split them up, maybe half of them will survive. Whose plan is this? Is this God's or is this Jacob's? Yeah, Jacob's, Jacob's trying to outwit his brother again. Do you see it? He's trying to outwit his brother again. I split everybody up. Maybe he'll miss one of them. Maybe we can sneak half of the people, half the, half the servants, half of the animals through, and he won't notice if we split them up. He's got 400 soldiers. He could send out a little search party. But Jacob's trying to do the best he can to make, his, make this work. God has sent him in this direction. He's, trying to, he's still Jacob. He's still living on his wits. He's still trying to make a plan. He's still the guy with the plan, the guy with the plan, the guy with the plan. The guy who leaves one word out of a sentence that changes its whole meaning. He split this group up. It's not all he splits up. He rose that night after everything was split up. Wakes up his wives, his female servants, his 11 sons, crosses over the ford of the Jabbok. Jabbok is a river, a stream that flows out of uh, what you would call Jordan today, flowing down 
into the valley where the Jordan River actually is. You go across the Jabbok. So he's got two big companies of servants and animals and stuff split down there in the desert trying to keep from being both killed by Esau. Then he takes his family and he sneaks across the river with leaving everybody else behind. If you're coming in to, to kill off a bunch of people, wouldn't you go to the big crowd? That's Jacob's thought. He takes his family across the Jabbok. Now notice, this, these female servants are the ones who have had children of his. So these are the mothers of his 11 children, 12 children. His, by, by the way, his, his wife Rachel is with child. Far enough along that when they actually arrive month or so later she has the child so he took and sent them over the brook sent over what he had and Jacob was left alone Lord I have chosen to follow you and by my making the choice to do what you said and go back home my entire family is in danger Everything you have given me for the last 20 years is in danger. And he finds himself alone with his thoughts. And when you are dealing with the things of your past that look horrible even to you, the things you'd like to forget when you're dealing with those things, the worst place to be is all alone in the night. Because it just magnifies in your brain as you run through the day your brother showed up at the camp really, really hungry, crazy hungry. And you conned him out of his birthright. And you are alone by yourself. You have no one to explain it to. No one to nuance the story for. Because you know the real story. You know that was a horrible thing to your own brother. And you know that you and your mom hatched the story where you would go into the, your father and you would let him touch you and smell your clothes and you would pretend to be your brother so that he would lay his hands on you and give you the blessing that your brother deserved. You stole his birthright. You stole his blessing. You're a weasel and you deserve to be called Jacob, you deceiver. And in the middle of that night, a man came. A man came and wrestled with him until the break of day. We find out in just a short while, this is an angel. Who wins in a battle between you and an angel? Is it going to be difficult for an angel to beat you? Him either. Here's the interesting thing about this story. The angel can end this at any moment, but the angel sticks around. As long as Jacob is going to stay engaged, the angel sticks around. You know what Jacob doesn't need tonight? To be alone with his thoughts. You know what God does? He shows up and wrestles him, you know, like, like you'd wrestle with your two-year-old. Ah, yeah, it's fine. Oh, yeah, don't push him too much. You hurt him. And just, yeah, yeah, he's just playing with him. He's just wrestling around. Jacob's in the battle of his life. Jacob is going to continue to fight. He's going to wrestle and wrestle and wrestle all night long with this guy. <laughs> when the angel is done, sun's coming up. I don't know. You got to disappear if you're an angel when the sun comes up. I'm not really sure why that is, but. The angel, the Bible says, he touches his hip. Wrestle him with the ball night. Oh, 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 Jacob's got the upper hand. Oh, Jacob doesn't have the upper hand. Oh, the angel got the, oh, they're wrestling back and forth. And Jacob feels like he's in. And when the angel's done, he says, let me go. Jacob says, no. And he goes, Tick. and his hip's out of joint. This thing is over. Jacob hanging on with his fingertips, just digging into this angel's flesh, holding on to his skirts, whatever he's doing, he's not letting go. He's not going to disengage. He said, let me go. It's daybreak. He said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Does angel know, does, does, sorry, does Jacob know he's wrestling with a superior being at this point? Because he's asking for a blessing. 
You wouldn't ask that if you thought this was a robber sneaking into the camp. Probably when the hip went out of joint, that gave him a clue. Now, hip out of joint, searing pain in his leg. He is still hanging on. You've got to give him a little credit here. I will not let you go until you bless me. Some of us need to get that prayer out of our lips. Some of us need to turn to God with that kind of determined prayer. Lord, I am going to stay at this until I feel your blessing. And I will wrestle with you all night if I have to, but I will stay at this until I know you've given me your blessing. You can't take advantage of God. So you can stay in this till he gives you what you need. That's Jacob. Then the angel says, What's your name? Does the angel know who he's been sent to wrestle with? You read these stories, you have to really take for take things like this a little bit into your mind and go, wait a second. Why does he ask the name? He knows who this guy is. He didn't just randomly pick a guy in the desert and start wrestling with him. But Jacob needs to hear his name come out of his own mouth. Because this name has been his curse for his entire life. He was born holding on to his brother's heel. So his parents, his parents called him the deceiver. How would you not live up to that if it was given to you at birth? Please don't call your child the weasel. If you're going to give him a nickname, call him superstar or something. You know, call him strong girl. Call him smart kid. Call him something. Don't call him, you know, the snake. I mean, it worked for Freddie Bolitnikoff, but I don't think his parents called him that. If you don't know who that is, look it up. The angel says, so what's your name? If I'm Jacob, I'm saying, you don't know who you've been wrestling with for the last two hours? Three hours? Four hours? How long has it been? My name is Jacob. Yes, my name is is the deceiver. Yes, my name is the manipulator. Yes, my name is the lying, stealing, good no account. Bum! Thank you very much for the reminder. Maybe he has his wife call him Jay. You know? Maybe the kids just call him Dad. But the angel makes him own his actual name. Your name is Jacob the Deceiver. And the angel said, Your name shall no longer be called the weasel, but Israel. Israel means wrestles with El, wrestles with God. Wrestler, one who wrestles with God. You will be called the man who wrestles with God. You can throw away Jacob if you'd like and just take Israel because after this night, you're a different man. And so Jacob wakes up in the morning with a new name, a new attitude, a few bruises, and a hip that won't go back. The reminder of his wrestling match for the rest of his life. But this wrestling match is not a sad thing. It's a glorious thing because God has changed his name, taken away his shame. And not only is he on this path to go back to the promise, the promise given to his ancestors and to him through his ancestors, the promise that God gave to his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac and to him. Not only is he going back to the place of the promise, not only is he put God first, not only is he chosen a direction that would determine a different destination, but God has said, 
I'll take away your shame too. Along the road to God's blessing, he removes your shame. Along the road of God's promises, he removes your shame. You need no longer to keep account of your mistakes because God forgot them. He says, man, I'm changing your name because you stayed in the fight. Good on you. I mean, I was just playing with you, but you stuck it out. You stuck it out all night. You stayed in the fight. Can I encourage you to stay in the fight? No matter what the fight is today. Remember, you've chosen a heading the way you're going to follow after God. You're going to set that as a priority. You're going to seek His kingdom and His righteousness, the covering of God's grace, the presence of His Spirit, the direction of your life to blessing in God's presence. I don't know, you've come here with all sorts of different things going on today. This is a long-term, end-of-the-story destination. Stay in the fight. He says, your name is Israel because you stayed in the fight, because you stayed the course. In the middle of your fear, you stayed the course. In the middle of the fight, in the middle of the night, you've stayed the course. In spite of the fact that you put your whole family across the river, you divided up all your goods, you did all you could with your plan to try to make this work. But when I came and I began to wrestle with you, you stayed in the fight. Good on you. Your name is now wrestles with God. Forget Jacob. Leave Jacob in the past. Move beyond Jacob. Be a different man now. Be a different person now. You are God's child because you stayed in the fight. You stayed the course. You stuck with me to the end. His brother shows up. I don't know whether God did something with his brother on the way. Maybe. Maybe time just passed and his brother realized, yeah, I didn't want any of that anyway. He shows up with his 400 soldiers to escort his brother back to the promise. He doesn't come to kill him. He comes to walk him home. (laughs) There's still a little Jacob left in Israel. He says to his brother, no, 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 no. No, we can't do that. The the, the children and the animals, you're going to have to move much faster than we can move. Forgetting the fact that he's just given his brother flocks and flocks and flocks and flocks. His brother sees the little fear in his eyes. He sees... The, the weasel coming out and he knows that he just can't change this guy. And he says, all right, I'll see you when we get home. Jacob goes on his way a different route. Esau goes on his way back home. But I want you to understand, in the middle of all the stuff he messes up, God never abandons him. He stays in the fight. He keeps resetting the compass. Every time he wanders off, he keeps resetting the compass and the heading in the direction of seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness. And he's an example because all these good things that everybody's after are added to his life. What's your course heading? Honest with yourself right now. What's your course setting? Have you picked something out on the horizon that isn't God's blessing? Have you stubbornly stuck to a course because it's comfortable? What's your course setting today? What are you choosing that's setting a direction for you? Because when you set a direction, you set a destination, right? So what choices are you making today that are setting your compass heading for tomorrow? If it's not seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you're on the wrong course. Now, it's okay. You can still get there from here. 
Until you take your last breath, you can still make course corrections. So wherever you find yourself and you're sitting there in your chair right now saying, Oh my, why did you decide to preach to me today? That's okay. Because no matter where you find yourself, the course correction can easily be made. And when you find yourself on that course, he says, and I'll be with you. I'll go with you on that course. And if you want to be locked into this course, yoke yourself together with me every morning, and I'll guide you. I'll drag you if it's necessary. But we'll get home. We live in a world that's throwing all kinds of crazy courses and changes out to us every day. Every week we've got a new mandate from somebody that this is what loving your neighbor looks like. This is what good behavior looks like. This is what good citizen looks like. And it's just, it's a constant change. The Bible says, no, 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 no. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all that, God will take care of. Let's pray. God, we, your children, are a mess. We admit it, and we know it. We understand that we all probably need a course correction right now. That we woke up this morning and the fog of life sent us off in some weird direction. We choose to seek first your kingdom and trust that you will see us through the fog. To seek first your righteousness. To know that our our, our attempts at righteousness aren't really all that good. But that in Jesus, we are declared righteous while He starts to help us look more like Him. We want that, Lord. Show us how to go that way. Show us what changes we should make. so that we will go in the direction of the destination that is your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.